0: So previously, the good jobs were consolidated around New York and San Francisco and Boston and Chicago. And now we're really moving towards a time where companies are looking for great talent in smaller communities. And they're looking for the brightest people they can find anywhere in the world.
1: Welcome to the Going Global podcast, brought to you by Globalization Partners. Hire anyone, anywhere, quickly and easily. Use our AI-driven, automated, fully compliant global employer record platform, powered by our in-house worldwide HR experts with 97% customer satisfaction ratings. Globalization partners succeed faster. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Going Global, the podcast where leaders in high-growth companies tell us their own stories of going global and building global remote teams. I'm your host, Diego Mendiburu, and remember that you can find all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. On today's show, we're interviewing both Nicole Sahin and Pete Tiliakos. Nicole's mission is to eliminate barriers to doing business internationally and building global teams. As founder and CEO of Globalization Partners, she's recognized for creating an innovative technological platform that enables companies to hire great talent anywhere in the world without the complexity of setting up international branch offices or subsidiaries. Pete is HR Technology and Services Research Director at Nelson Hole. He leads research in payroll services, global employer records services, and human capital management technology. Hello, Nicole and Pete, and welcome.
0: Thanks for having us here.
1: Let's begin, Nicole, with the basics you left the creation of the global employer of record category. Can you kick us off by explaining the underlying reason for the industry and why it has had such a rapid market adoption and growth? Sure.
0: So yes, the traditional way that companies set up their operations around the globe is to register a branch office or a subsidiary in every country before they can hire even one employee. And as you can imagine, that's incredibly inefficient. You know, it might take three months to set up a company in the UK before you can hire an employee there, or it can take 12 months to set up a company in Brazil before you can hire one employee in Brazil. Not to mention the 10,000 emails it takes to figure it out and get it right between your legal advisors, your tax advisors, and your HR team. But ultimately, you know, I saw that companies had to do this and set about building the world's first SaaS-enabled global employer of record platform with the idea that if we could set up one company in each country and give all of our customers access to it, then enabling customers to hire great talent everywhere around the globe would have a huge market opportunity. But it's also extremely nuanced because you have to make sure that you have the legal issues really tied out on an end-to-end basis So, for example, our contracts between our subsidiaries, our contracts with the employees on the ground in country, our contracts with our customers, everything has to tie out perfectly because there's a lot of liability related to employing people around the globe. From the intellectual property protections in place for the employees to the personal liability that I, as a director of the company, have for making sure that I can actually pay people whether or not our customers pay us. So basically, started setting up the industry about 10 years ago, and at the time, the industry didn't exist. It was really threading the needle from a legal perspective to make it work on a country-by-country basis. And here we are today, 10 years later. Globalization partners will do about a billion dollars in annualized recurring revenue by the end of this year. We've seen lots of competitors pop up in the space. It's a thriving industry. And I think the era of global remote work is here. Everybody wants the opportunity to hire great people everywhere they can find them quickly and easily, while also managing their compliance footprint. So that's a little background on where we are today.
1: So I'm wondering, Nicole, you know, what options did companies have 10 or 15 years ago when they were trying to hire someone in another country? What mechanisms existed or what were the best options they had in order to capture this talent?
0: Yeah, I mean, typically the way companies were operating was if so if a company said you Tesla as an example, they were my client. They wanted to hire two salespeople in each of 18 countries within a one year period. And basically, you know, we came back to them and said, okay, in order to make that happen, we'll have to set up a branch office in this country, a subsidiary in that country, register you for payroll in that country. Here's all the things you have to do. Here's the time it's going to take, and we'll go do it for you. Then, once those entities were registered, we'd register them for payroll, register them for taxes, set up the employment contracts in countries, try to offer benefits to the employees in country. But it's very hard to do because you have a team of one or two people to set up market norm benefits. So since everything is done on a country-by-country basis, that's just a lot of nuance for companies to deal with. The alternative was to pay people as contractors, which is illegal and risky, just like in the United States, we don't pay our professional employees under the table. It opens up customers to a lot of risk when they do that internationally as well, even more. So those were the
1: options. Now, Pete uh, Nelson Hall published the industry's first market analysis of the global employer worker software and services in late 2020. What were your core findings?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, Diego, thank you, uh, and Nicole, thank you for having me. You know, this is really a pleasure for me to be here, and I really appreciate the uh, opportunity. You know, just a little background on how we, we the report came about. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I lead our research around global payroll. And obviously now global employer of record. And I noticed that that model kept coming up, particularly as firms were looking to maintain compliance with their workers around the globe. That prompted me to look into a few of the solutions. And I wrote a blog about it and then just sort of kept my eye on it. But what really kind of resonated with me was, you know, I launched my career in the U.S. You know, domestic PEO space. And I saw a similar value that businesses were drawing from this solution as from the traditional PEO model. And I knew we needed to bring some attention to it. And it naturally fit, you know, where our HR services sort of focus. And selfishly, I was a bit curious. But, you know, coming out of that, I think I came away with three sort of core things that jumped out at me. You know, first, it was just how impactful this service is and can be for an emerging multinational firm. It can be extremely powerful, you know, speed and agility enabler and really help them execute on their growth strategies. But at the same time, so many don't know about it, right? It's very underutilized. And it largely still is. I you know, I still have a theory that nine out of 10 CHROs, and maybe you could even take that above nine, don't know about this. And, and I'd love to see that change. Second, I went into this thinking this was all about the large enterprise firm. I think a lot of people do, that global expansion is only for the big players, you know, the big multinational companies. And in fact, the largest user of EOR services that we noticed was those hyper-growth-oriented, sort of smaller and middle market firms that mostly we're adopting this. It's not to say that that model isn't being used for larger firms, there are plenty of those doing that, you know, but the ability for a small business to quickly and literally in days, not months, step into a fully compliant HR operating model in another country somewhere around the world is priceless when you're thinking about executing on a growth strategy. And then I think the third thing that came away with me is that we thought, especially we were doing this during COVID, I expected mm-hmm. to hear that folks were going to slow down, right? And what really came away from this, and this resonated again, even in our payroll study I just completed following the EOR report, is that we found that globalization is not slowing. And this was even before, uh, we, I think we were actually in the middle of the lockdown when we were working through this. So you can imagine there were a lot of unknowns. But through the report, the global EOR report, the buyers of those services told us 80% of them that they expect to continue to expand their footprints over the next three years. And so they obviously mentioned you know needing help navigating that. To further that, when we talked to the payroll buyers this year, we looked at both the single country and the multi-country buyers. The single country buyers, almost 40% of them, told us that their firms are going to need to support a multi-country footprint in the coming years. And so I think you know the trends that are coming out of the pandemic have really only accelerated these things, and it looks like there's no
1: sign of that slowing down. So really, those are the three core things I came away with. You just mentioned this, uh, Pete, but let's go deeper into that. What has changed in the recent months due to the pandemic and the advent of global remote work? And I guess the bigger question is how permanent do you think those changes will be inside the companies and overall when doing business internationally? I don't know if you want to start, Pete, and then we can hear from Nicole.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the biggest thing is we've obviously seen work from home prove that it can work, right? It's there's plenty of cases out there where firms are saying, hey, this is working for us. There's no reason why we can't we need to go back, right? It's also creating a lot of flexibility and a lot of you know personalization to the work experience for the employee, but it's also giving way to work from anywhere, which you know you're seeing a lot of companies often finding that they want to support employees with that request. They want to create a unique experience for them, they want to allow them to work anywhere. But that suddenly puts that company in a foreign market that they may have never planned to be operating in. So that work from anywhere trend, I think, is only accelerating this. We also see that, as you know, I don't think it's any secret, there's plenty of research that says employers are still struggling to find top talent. They're still struggling to fill yeah. roles. So most companies are having to get creative, right? They're having to look beyond their borders. They're looking at different types of hires, alternative sort of hires, maybe veterans or you know women who maybe have left the workforce to raise children and want to come back. Just all sorts of different ways that they can source talent. And that also means looking outside of their home country. And and if the person is in a country that they're not operating in and they're pivotal to the role, many are willing to do that. And so that's creating a huge advantage by enabling a lot of agility for firms to be able to grow and tap into that talent that they need
1: to continue to compete. What is your perspective on this, Nicole?
0: It's super interesting. So I agree with everything Pete said for sure. One thing that we're finding is that basically we've gained a lot of traction in the last 10 years. So again, this was not considered a legally valid way of doing business internationally 10 years ago. What we're seeing now is we're being referred in by the big law firms. PwC, EY, not that those are law firms, but you know the biggest brand names in industry are referring customers to us. And I think it's because they've taken a very careful look at what we've built and validated that it does indeed work and because their customers want the solution. Also, it's more compliant oftentimes than whatever the customers build themselves, because you're so likely to make mistakes when you're trying to go quick and build your own infrastructure. So anyway, the industry has become accepted. I will say there's a case of buyer beware, which, you know, you could go to a, a local mom and pop shop on the ground in another country and ask them to employ somebody for you. But are they going to meet the standards of a world class firm where the directors are legally responsible for how they do business around the globe? And the answer there is probably not. So you have to be a little careful. That said, the other ways the the industry has changed, I think basically as a result of the pandemic, as Pete said, people are freed from the idea, not only that people have to go into the office every day, but the idea that people can be highly productive working from anywhere, and it expands the talent pool far beyond that 50 mile radius where everyone needs to hire their people. And from a company perspective, that's incredibly liberating because people can actually go much further afield to find talent. Right now, in the United States, at least, we're facing a severe labor shortage. Not only in engineering, where there's been a longstanding labor shortage, but really in absolutely every area of the economy, including some of the entry level jobs. And you know, there's different theories on that. Some people say it's because of the government benefits that were extended during the pandemic, and because people are still taking care of children at home. But anyway, people can't find people, so we see them. Going to other countries, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, where they can find more talent. And they're surprised too, it's also a lower cost for highly ambitious English speaking talent. Second, we see people, you know, like now that they realize, oh, God, we don't have to, everybody doesn't have to show up at the office every day. They think, my God, well, what if we can hire a salesperson in London or we can hire a customer service agent on the ground in France to deal with our French customer? And the customer is so much happier. Before that seemed really hard to do, but now that we can hire anyone anywhere, it's much more possible. So I think companies are seizing the revenue opportunity faster. Third, they're seizing the opportunity for engineering faster, but hey, that's always been the case. And the last thing is, is that it's changed that people are now using our platform on an ongoing basis. Two-thirds of our customers say that they never want to set up another company again, mm. if they don't have to. So in the early days, this was considered like short-term, temporary. We'll use an employer of record while we're trying to figure out you know, what we're going to do if we're going to hire more people in that country, if this guy works out. Now they're just saying, we're going to use the employer of record platform indefinitely on our employees ongoing basis.
1: So you both have given us this overall look of the industry and the changes uh, that it suffered because of the pandemic. But I'm wondering, how has this standardization of remote work impacted globalization partners growth? And also how it impacted your strategy both internally, you know, how did it change the way you guys at globalization partners work internally? And how is it changing your strategy in terms of your external impact?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Thank you, Diego. First of all, we are very fortunate. We're positioned right in the center of the era of global remote work with a killer platform that enables anyone to hire talent anywhere. So we are we're in a good position. And so now we're really looking at taking advantage of the market opportunity. For example, we'll close... 1,200 customers this year, we'll close 4,000 next year. So we're really scaling up the business and doubling down and making sure that, you know, all of our technology is up to date. Our salespeople are well-trained. Our customer service agents are well-trained. We've always focused on quality. I think that's critical. We could dump a bunch of cash into demand gen right now and hit those numbers much sooner but I don't think that's wise. I think at the end of the day, when companies are outsourcing their global legal and HR infrastructure, the quality of what we build, not only at globalization partners, but for the entire industry matters. I can't emphasize that enough. And so we're investing ahead of the curve before we invest in even further growth. Um, And that's not to say we're not growing because our numbers are, are pretty awesome. Okay. So that aside, in terms of remote work, We were hiring, and we've always been very global. We have internal employees probably in 80 countries, just by nature of what we do. But I had tried to hire people in hubs and have them go into offices, at least sometimes. We're still hiring in hubs because I think it's nice for people to have a, a core community that they feel is home. You know, so we hire a lot in Mexico City. We hire a lot in Ireland. We hire a lot in Poland. We hire a huge team in indoor India and in different places in the United States. But I will say we're relaxing that a little bit because it's just, I mean, nobody's meeting in the office anyway. We were already pretty advanced in terms of our learning and development being online. But we've we've really doubled down on that and making sure that our training programs are just world class. There's so much to learn. And we want to make sure that our team members are very competent before they ever speak to a customer. Finally, company culture, I would say it might be an impact of just like level of growth. You know, we've doubled our headcount since the pandemic started, and most of these people we've never met. I think the ties that bind when you have a truly global remote workforce, our company culture is very efficient, very strong, very cohesive, very people-centric, and people really seem to enjoy it. Our Glassdoor reviews are through the roof. That said, I think it becomes more about career ladders and the potential for promotion. And everything professionalizes a lot. And so we really look towards making sure that our team members know that we're investing in them and investing in their careers.
1: And what about how you reach and approach customers and how you present the solutions and globalization partners technology? Did you change those strategies because of the standardization of remote work? A little
0: bit, yeah. I, you know, our customers used to be interested in focusing on hiring sales teams around the globe, and now it's literally mm-hmm. global remote teams, everyone, everywhere. How are you going to deal with that from a legal, HR, and tax perspective? And we have the solution. So I guess that's the primary way that our messaging has changed because the market's needs. So just an era, an era of so much potential, you know, and I think everyone is excited about it and. Wants to grab the potential. So, putting, you know, saying, hey, we have a solution that fits the exact right time in the market is really
1: how the messaging has changed. Pete, Nicole already mentioned this, but you specifically wrote a LinkedIn post recently saying that you were worried, you know, about the industry and basically along the lines of buyer beware, as Nicole said, you know, as as vendors flood the space. What makes a global employer of record a really good global employer of record? What should be maybe like the top five things companies? should care about the most when looking for the right partner? Now, that's a fantastic question. You know, look, Nicole alluded to this at the
2: beginning, right? There's a lot that goes into the effort that goes into this. We probably just touched the tip of the iceberg with her uh, summary earlier. There's a lot of work that has to be done to make this, to execute this properly, right? And the risks associated with global expansion and getting it wrong have material and even devastating impacts to a small business It can completely derail the growth trajectory, right? So while the EOR services can help, and they are, right, not all of the solutions offered in the marketplace are equally capable. And my concern is there's a lot flooding the space, right? It's all very tech-driven, and it all looks really good. And despite how slick they may look, really have to kick the tires, you know, so to speak, and check under the hood right? The tech is important, but with this service, it's much, much deeper than tech alone. So my top fives would probably be, and maybe there's a little overlap here, but, but I'll explain. The first one, and I would say this about any HR service that you're going to engage, but particularly one that's going to be rooted in touching your talent and your people, is does the vendor have referenceable proof of their capability, right? Have you spoke to their customers? Can they deliver the scope that you're specifically looking for in the places you're specifically doing it? And are those clients, again, referenceable and willing to tell you about their experience? That's first and foremost. I would say the next thing I would look at is the breadth of the vendor-owned legal entities, right, to support the countries that you're looking to move into. We could certainly debate the direct model versus the aggregator model, and there are pros and cons, but in my opinion, the direct model means that the provider has, well, it's not my opinion, I think it's a stronger model, would be my opinion, but the fact is the provider has invested in that country, right? They have skin in the game. They have set up and gone through the legwork to prepare a legal entity that they inherently have greater control over or full control over and inherently greater control over the delivery model and ultimately the experience. So what have they invested in that country, right? The second part of that piece would be the in-country presence and the expertise to support the footprint, right? And maintain absolute compliance with your local laws and requirements, as well as guiding you through decision-making around those rules. This is where firms get into trouble in global expansion or even global payroll, is they underestimate the compliance element. And if you get that wrong, and it is changing all the time, drastically, you really are going to put yourself in a really bad position. The fourth thing would be proper controls, financial stability, and really that ongoing investment to deepen their capability and advance that customer and user experience and continue to maintain compliance and such, right? Nicole mentioned a lot of learning and training that her firm invests. Those investments continue to pay dividends for their customer experience. And then lastly, that customer experience has to underpin all of that, right? The solution needs to have a high touch, high value, hopefully high tech experience for the worker and the client for them to be able to to transact in a modern way. So really fundamentally, it's about capability, it's about location, and it's about the stability to bring to you the solution that can maintain what you're trying to accomplish versus maybe being having gaps or having risks, if you will. Those are my five, personally, that I see.
1: Now, Nicole, along the same lines, I guess you've had like a privileged position of looking at this industry and being part of it since its very beginning. So I guess you've had this position of looking at how Others are trying to do things maybe differently, taking different paths. So what are the main differences between global employers of record? What are the biggest contrasts between their technology and their legal and operational structure? It's a
0: huge, huge range. And I think like Pete said, I do think there's a little bit right now of like loss over things, which is a little bit. It's, I think it's a challenging thing to deal with as an industry. So my background is actually comes from compliance. So as I mentioned, I used to help companies, you know, high-growth companies, set up their operations around the globe and consolidate the information from international tax legal HR people around the globe. The reason I set up the company the way I did, at first, I thought that we could just subcontract the third-party vendors around the globe. So we would basically be a broker. Pretty quickly, I realized that those vendors, those third parties in-country, we're not running compliant businesses. And I respect all of the entrepreneurs who ever build a business. So I don't mean to disrespect that. But at the end of the day, the standards of a world-class American and any developed economy where somebody's probably going to list do an IPO or sell their business, if there's a certain standard of quality from compliance perspective that you just have to meet. You can't fly under the radar. So anyway, I, you know, working with those mom and pop shops, I just saw too many things that I wasn't comfortable with, that basically we had to build our own legal infrastructure around the globe. Also, when you have your own legal infrastructure around the globe, you can build software on top of it. You control the entire supply chain. So I will say there's some technology companies that are just plugging in mom and pop shops around the globe, small vendors, and saying like, okay, we'll connect you with the best empl- local employer of record in China. We'll connect you with the best local employer of record in Dubai. It's probably less expensive, but I think there's no overarching unifying structure in that situation to make sure that you're not breaking the money laundering regulations in your home country. You know, there's certain things like if we were to pay somebody who is on a U.S. terrorist watch list, for example, it's the OFAC regulations, $10,000 a day fine per incident. It's our responsibility. If it's not, if it's not done by us, it's the customers. But they'll shut down our bank accounts and they would shut down the customers' bank accounts if there was actually an issue. There is so much risk in like not having an overarching legal structure that it's a problem. Also, when you think about the things that you're trying to protect when you employ people around the globe, it's IP protection. Who owns the IP? In many cases, the IP that the customers build flows through our legal entities because that's the only way that we can protect it on the ground in-country. Like, Let's say you had to pursue a situation with an employee in another country. You want to make sure that you're contracted with an entity that has the teeth to actually pursue that legal situation. There's a few things, but the other main risk that I'm a little worried about right now is really related to the financial infrastructure. As I mentioned, I consider us extremely early in our growth stage. I think we're the biggest employer of record in the industry by large. We have a billion dollars in annualized recurring revenue going through our books. This is like day one of this industry. And the amount and speed of financial transaction and currency going around the globe means two things. One, first of all, risk of cybersecurity and uh, EU data protection, all of these things absolutely critical to the infrastructure. Small companies do not have the resources to invest in that, spanning 180 countries. And then the second thing, and probably the most important thing, is that Again, we are responsible for paying the employees, and we have all the liabilities related to these employees around the globe, whether or not our customers pay us. That's huge. So let's say the economy crashes, and a good portion of our customer base couldn't pay payroll for whatever reason, or we just don't have the financial infrastructure to collect quickly enough, process, and send out funds quickly enough. It's a very short timeline between when the customer pays the comm- tells us what commission an employee needs to be paid. We process that, calculate it, and then collect money from the customer. And then we have to get a wire to our bank account in-country and then from the bank account in-country to the employee on the ground. If somebody's infrastructure was broken, if they didn't stack their billing team, if the banking went down, anything, and they can't pay those end employees or they can't collect money coming in quickly enough, the entire infrastructure could just fall apart very quickly. And basically, there is no at-will employment globally. You're responsible for paying people, what, again, no matter what. And, and normally, there's long combination periods in other countries. So I think the financial risk that a lot of companies are taking on is, is quite problematic. Finally, we've seen things in contracts that you know sometimes we transfer customers from smaller vendors to globalization partners. They are with a vendor, and then they choose us, move to our platform. And when that happens, we see that contracts between the vendor and the customers and the employees. And the amount of errors that we see in the employment contracts, it's like the contracts aren't even locally compliant. We've seen country names spelled incorrectly. We've seen, we've seen contracts that say literally all liability passes through to the end employer if there's any issue with this contract. So they're, the customer is basically buying something, not only with no protection, it's worse. It's they think they're protected and there's absolutely nothing and it's illegal. But there's no laws. Well, there are laws, but, you know, I guess there's not like a unified body to police this at this
1: point. No, yeah. I mean, I guess in the end, what is the point of getting a partner for your global expansion if you are getting all the responsibility and all the liability, right? So we are reaching the end of the conversation. So I guess it is time to talk about the future. So Pete, what do you think the global employer record industry will look like in the next five to 10 years? And I wonder... You know, there's always these buzzwords that come, you know, AI, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. How do you see also technology changing the industry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. You know, and I'm actually kicking off the second iteration of this report in the fall. We've already seen massive interest in that. So we're expecting it to be much bigger than the last one or the first one. And so obviously some of these things will come in much clearer then. But really what my POV on this, from my perspective, is really a few things. So first, I think the industry... Well, it is factually on an absolute rocket ship ride. All of that brought about by the dynamics, you know, globalization that we've talked about earlier. And I don't see that slowing anytime soon. You know, the market opportunity is huge, in fact, and it's drastically underserved. right? I was uh, just reading and don't necessarily nail me to this number, but I was reading somewhere that the US PEO market, right? So single country represents something like maybe 15 percent or a little more than 15 percent of the small businesses with less than 100 employees. Right. And it's been going strong since easily the 80s. And we're just at 15% penetration after all that time. Global employer of record is 190 whatever countries, and it's just getting started. So there's absolutely plenty of room to run and plenty of growth here, particularly with all the stuff that we've been talking about. I think the second thing is, is that while the market is definitely getting crowded, right? We talk about new providers coming up, they're popping up almost daily. I expect that's going to give away or could give away to some failures. I hope not. I think that would be bad for everyone in this space. But I also think you'll see some consolidation naturally, right? We've already seen at least one major firm make an acquisition this year. And I expect that could be an investment area for maybe global HRO or payroll providers looking to, you know, bolster their global mobility solutions, which are becoming increasingly more important, you know, just from the work from anywhere sort of trend alone. I think also that your global EORs are going to get pulled deeper into the global mobility space. I think they're going to have to continue to advance their offerings to differentiate. I kind of say this, it's a little cliche, but a one-stop shop, right? A global expansion support really is what I think firms in EOR space are going to have to navigate towards or move towards, you know, really kind of bringing about more employees or solutions that make the employee experience more robust and make it more like the broader company, right? The bigger group of companies that is employing this worker. You know, to your point, I think you mentioned this, tech is going to become increasingly more important here. Right now, most of the solutions are a little less mature than some of the tech and services that we see in the HR space. And I think that's fine for now, right? It's supporting single workers temporarily in some cases, some cases permanently, But that is giving way to firms wanting to provide a best-in-class experience for every worker in their organizations, even if they are on a temporary basis or they plan to keep them long-term. Either way, I think they want that experience to be as robust as possible. So we can see the expectations certainly growing for more engaging worker experiences, more alignment to the way maybe the corporate culture is. So I just think more tools in that area are going to happen, and tech is absolutely going to do What it's done, I think, in the other spaces
1: is mature and bring more value to this than even it's delivering now. So that's kind of my outlook at this point. So, Nicole, to end the conversation, I guess it's not technology for technology's sake. It's because of the impact that businesses and organizations worldwide can have, right? So you've written that remote work and technology will democratize opportunities for everyone. Can you share that vision of that future with us? and, And what role will global employer records play in it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really exciting time for humanity. I mean, this is really an era when I would say it's the rise of the rest. It's the rise of the rest not only internationally, but also in the United States. So previously, the good jobs were consolidated around New York and San Francisco and Boston and Chicago, and now we're really moving towards a time where Companies are looking for great talent in smaller communities, Mm -hmm. and they're looking for the brightest people they can find anywhere in the world, in the United States and and elsewhere. And previously, companies looked to places, you know, they were hiring lower cost talent in in India and Mexico. Now they're hiring the best talent they can find for the job anywhere they can find it. And I think because all have the same real estate and we all have the same access When we do our all-hands meetings, we all get that one inch on a square on Zoom. It it is the opportunity for the best ideas to shine through, for the most engaged people to shine through. And it doesn't tie to their location so much as it used to, where the jobs, again, were reserved for people who had shared office space with the executive suite. So what do I see coming out of the future? More people having great jobs in their local communities. And when people have good jobs in their local communities, and they're able to stay with their local community. They're closer to their family. They're reinvesting back into their community, both in terms of dollars and mentorship opportunities for the people that they know. And the role that the employer of record industry plays in that is huge. And that's what we're really excited about at Globalization Partners is to be a part of that. And it's uh, the reason is because we really make it possible for anyone to hire anyone anywhere. So by providing that core infrastructure, and making it easy for companies to provide not just a compliant, but also a good employee experience anywhere in the world. We're just honored to be a part of that and the democratization of opportunity.
1: That sounds really exciting. Uh, Thank you very much, Nicole and Pete, for your time. This has been a fantastic conversation. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember that you can find all episodes on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and in our website. So if you are planning to hire a new global team member, Globalization Partners makes it easy to onboard international talent in a matter of days. Go to globalization-partners.com to get started.
2: This is Going Global, presented by Globalization Partners.